everyone, and welcome to the Every Word Podcast. All right, everybody. Well, welcome back to the Every Word Podcast. Thanks so much for coming back and joining us uh, this week. We are covering Genesis chapter 30. So we are going to dive right into this chapter. It's got quite a few verses in it, but I think we're going to do our best to try to be as quick and concise as we possibly can uh, with our notes. Uh, You'll see as we get into the reading, there's some There's a little bit of different stuff um, in this chapter, but it'll definitely be something that'll be a lot of fun for us to kind of dig into together and kind of explore uh, what we've been able to study and what God has given us. Um, So without any further ado, I'm going to go ahead and start our reading today. Like I said, we'll be reading in Genesis chapter 30. I'm going to start with verse 1, go down through verse 24. And again, just a reminder, we are reading out of the New Living Translation, so if you want to follow along, that is the version to do it in. All right, starting in Genesis 30, verse 1, verse 1 says, When Rachel saw she wasn't having any children for Jacob, she became jealous of her sister. She pleaded with Jacob, Give me children or I'll die. Then Jacob became furious with Rachel. Am I God? he asked. He's the one who has kept you from having children. Then Rachel told him, Take my maid, Bilhah, and sleep with her. She will bear children for me, and through her I can have a family too. So Rachel gave her servant, Bilhah, to Jacob as a wife, and he slept with her. Bilhah became pregnant and presented him with a son. Rachel named him Dan, for she said, God has vindicated me. He has heard my request and given me a son. Then Bilhah became pregnant again and gave Jacob a second son. Rachel named him Naphtali, for she said, I have struggled hard with my sister, and I am winning. Meanwhile, Leah realized she wasn't getting pregnant anymore, so she took her servant Zilpah and gave her to Jacob as a wife. Soon Zilpah presented him with a son. Leah named him Gad, for she said, How fortunate I am. Then Zilpah gave Jacob a second son, and Leah named him Asher, For she said, What joy is mine? Now the other woman will celebrate with me. The other women will celebrate with me. Excuse me. One day during the wheat harvest, Reuben found some mandrakes growing in a field and brought them to his mother, Leah. Rachel begged Leah, Please give me some of your son's mandrakes. But Leah angrily replied, Wasn't it enough that you stole my husband? Now will you steal my son's mandrakes too? Rachel answered, I will let Jacob sleep with you tonight if you give me some of your mandrakes. So that evening, as Jacob was coming home from the fields, Leah went out to meet him. You must come and sleep with me tonight, she said. I have paid for you with some mandrakes that my son found. So that night he slept with Leah, and God answered Leah's prayers. She became pregnant again and gave birth to a fifth son for Jacob. She named him Issachar, and she said, God has rewarded me with a nut, rewarded, excuse me, I have to blink, my contacts are drying out. (laughs) Um... She named him Issachar, for she said, God has rewarded me for giving my servant to my husband as a wife. Then Leah became pregnant again and gave birth to a sixth son for Jacob. She named him Zebulun, for she said, God has given me a good reward. Now my husband will treat me with respect, for I have given him six sons. Later she gave birth to a daughter and named her Dinah. Then God remembered Rachel's plight and answered her prayers by enabling her to have children. She became pregnant and gave birth to a son. God has removed my disgrace, she said, and she named him Joseph, for she said, May the Lord add yet another son to my family. All right, Brother Ethan, what do you have for us on those first set of scriptures? All right, thanks, AJ. Well, I guess uh, to start out, just to recap on the last few verses of Genesis uh, chapter 29, uh, Leah is giving birth to four different sons. And uh, if you remember, the Genesis 29 really serves to uh, set up Leah and Rachel and compare them. And, and if you remember, Rachel is beautiful on the outside. She's got a lovely face, uh, a lovely form. Jacob goes head over heels for her. Leah, on the other hand, she's not attractive on the outside, um, but there seems to be indications that she has a very, very tender spirit. And so definitely Genesis chapter 29 is there to serve as comparing and contrasting Rachel and Leah. So we start to see 
in this passage some of the character flaws of Rachel. She she may look great on the outside, but maybe she's not as inwardly developed uh, character-wise as her sister Leah. So Rachel's barren, and she is unable to have children. And so we, we see that Rachel quickly becomes jealous of Leah, although Rachel was the one that Jacob loved. And so Rachel goes to Jacob and demands her de- demands him to give her children. And so Jacob then replies with a pretty shocking statement, in my opinion. He says, am I God? He's the one who's kept you from having children. And so there's this change in Jacob and Rachel's relationship going on here. Before, they, Jacob was just obsessed with Rachel you know, totally in love with her, you know, totally passionate about Rachel, willing to sacrifice 14 years for Rachel. And so something is obviously happening here in the relationship. Something is eroding away that this relationship that was just built maybe on the artificial. That's my interpretation here. So we said that last chapter was designed to compare and contrast Rachel's outward beauty with Leah's inward beauty. Well, here's Rachel's character beginning to shine through. She's becoming jealous of Leah, and and maybe because of this jealousy, or maybe because of some other character flaws, Jacob's patience with Rachel begins to grow thin, and that passion he had for her, it's died off, and if you notice, he's still in his backslidden state because he blames God for Rachel's barrenness. And so this is an echo of Adam blaming God for the reason he took the fruit in Genesis chapter three. Adam's excuse to God was, he says this, it was the woman that you gave me, God. She's the one who made me uh, eat this fruit. And so Adam pushing that blame over to God Jacob's doing the same thing here. It's God that's responsible for this. Jacob obviously still has a long way to go with his walk uh, with God. So Rachel, desperate to have children, decides to decides to give her handmaid Bilah to Jacob as a wife so that she could have children on her behalf. So Bilhah gives birth to a son named Dan, and then she gives birth to another son named Naphtali. Uh, these names shed some light on Rachel's motives. So Dan means he vindicated because Rachel felt like she was vindicated by the birth of her son through her handmaid. She was no longer completely inferior to her sister Leah, who has had four sons by this time. So Naphtali is the next son that um, Bilhah bears, and that means my struggle because of her struggle and her competition against Aaliyah. So she even said, actually, I like how the NLT says it, that that Rachel was winning. And uh, so for, for Rachel, she sees her relationship between Jacob and between Leah as a competition for the favor of Jacob. And so Leah answers this call for competition and gives her maid Zilpah to Jacob for his wife since she wasn't getting pregnant anymore. And so Zilpah gives birth to two sons. So when Leah names her two sons through Zilpah, you can see her intentions seem to be a little bit different from Rachel. She names the first son Gad, which means good fortune because she felt fortunate enough to have another son, even if it was through Zilpah. Um, The second son she names Asher, which means happy because she felt happy that she received another son through Zilpah. So you can see two very different motives between Leah and Rachel. Rachel's being competitive. Leah's is is much more about being thankful uh, for another son. And so um, this competition between Rachel and Leah is interrupted uh, in the story by Leah's son, Reuben, finding something in, in the field during harvest time. And it's a plant called a mandrake. And so strangely enough from, for us modern readers who don't know much about what's going on, Rachel kind of goes crazy, uh, over these mandrakes. And so, uh, she, she kind of wants to get a hold of these mandrakes and uh, seems to be willing to trade some things for those mandrakes. So we got to figure out, okay, you know, what is a mandrake? Why was Rachel 
seemingly going crazy over um, over these mandrakes. So, a mandrake is a plant, and it's specifically uh, the root of a plant. So, um, think of like a, a carrot or a potato. It's the root of those plants that's that's eaten the carrot and the potato. So same sort of idea. So um, eating mandrake roots can create a, uh, interestingly enough, a euphoria. And it's and if you take it in a large enough quantity, it can actually become hallucinogenic. So um, definitely not something that you want to eat. Um, so one interesting feature about this plant is that the roots have a very unique look, and and some of them actually look very much like human figures. And so, uh, because of this, now I want, you know, disclaimer, beware, outside of the Bible, because of these human-like, uh, human-like roots, there's a lot of superstition and, and even witchcraft that's associated with mandrakes. So, uh, if you're going to do some internet research, don't go too far down the internet black hole uh, on, <laughs> on mandrakes. So, uh, right. let's turn back to the Bible. And so with all of this in <laughs> mind, with this context of, okay, you know, this is what a mandrake is. Um, it's a root, it's a plant, it's an edible plant. And, um, there's some sort of, um, like, a euphoria feeling that's released when you eat those. We have to ask ourselves then. So why was Rachel so desperate to get these mandrakes from, from Leah? So, Though we use the word mandrake, that's what most English translations interpret the Hebrew word, um, the more literal translation for the Hebrew there would be love plants. And so um, it's uncertain whether or not these plants were indeed the same mandrakes as we understand today. But perhaps this euphoric effect that we see in mandrakes today was maybe that was also seen in the mandrakes of the Bible, this, this, these love plants of the Bible. So most scholars believe that these mandrakes helped promote fertility, whether it did that through that, you know, that kind of euphoric feeling, uh, how that affected the body chemically or hormonally. Uh, somehow these love plants in the Bible did help promote fertility. And so seeing Rachel's condition of barrenness, it makes 100% total sense, you know, why should we, she would want this particular plant. So when Rachel asks for some of the mandrakes, you see Leah now become human. She's been really great up to this point, but something kind of cracks in Leah and, and she snaps at Rachel and says, wasn't it enough that you stole my husband? Now will you steal my son's mandrakes too? So some pretty, uh, icy words from Leah. Leah's had enough with Rachel and she's venting her frustration and anger toward Rachel. So Rachel bribes Leah by allowing her tent time <laughs> with Jacob. And this is a pretty in-your-face move by Rachel. Rachel obviously is the one who gets all the tent time, all the attention from Jacob. You know, she's she's the one who gets to be in Jacob's tent whenever she wants. So Rachel is really in this statement. She's one upping Leah by making this trade and, and, and asserting that she's the one who's actually in control. And so Leah accepts the trade, probably angry, a little angry at this stunt by by uh, by Rachel. However, God hears Leah's prayers and hears Leah's frustrations and answering answering her by giving her Issachar. And so uh, Leah gives birth again to another son named Zebulun. And finally, she gives birth to a daughter named Dinah. Um, so Dinah is the only daughter um, mentioned here. There's, there's probably more daughters, but um, she's a key character in a later chapter. So that's why she's named uh, by named. So obviously Leah is being blessed by God here. She's being given two more sons and a daughter. So she isn't perfect. She had that moment of weakness against Rachel, but God still remembered her in the misery of her being uh, neglected. However, and I'm wrapping up, God doesn't forget about Rachel either. And this is the mystery of God's goodness and his mercy toward humanity. Rachel has been the, the slam dunk favorite for Jacob. She is the one, the woman of his dreams, 
And she has exercised her privilege and her status over her sister, Leah. Rachel has lacked the character, though, of her sister, Leah. She hasn't been the one to call upon the name of God to find herself and find her inner character and her inner beauty like Leah has found. But God still shows mercy toward Rachel and enables her to conceive and give birth to a son. And that son's name is Joseph. And she names him Joseph in hopes that God may yet add another son to her family. Now, this may not seem super groundbreaking to you, what she just said here, but but up to this point, Rachel has not called upon the name of the Lord. Leah has called upon the name of the Lord at least three different times up to this point. But it seems like Rachel, in this moment when God remembers her and gives her a son, she she's finally able to acknowledge the Lord, the God of Abraham and Isaac, and call upon His name. So maybe a little bit of a of a, of a revelation for Rachel happens here in in that verse. So that's all I have. All right. Well, nice job as always, brother Ethan. Um, you you actually hit on quite a lot of things that I had typed up. Um, so so that was awesome to hear, and I, I loved what you did with um, kind of bringing out. Uh, especially in the beginning when you're talking about the different names uh, that the children were being named during this time. Uh, I've got some notes on that as well that I'll go over here in just a moment, but I, I think there's a lot in that um, as well as, as the Mandrake. So um, I'll, I'll go ahead and pick back up or go back to the beginning for uh, for what I have, and I'll try to be as quick and concise as I can. But like you said, we see at this the chapter as we're beginning to open here um, that Rachel has noticed that you know Jacob is now having all the children through Leah and not uh, through Rachel. So this begins to stir up Rachel's jealousy. And to your point that you made so very well, you know this is interesting because uh, you know up to this point Rachel has had her way with Jacob. You know she bats her eyelashes essentially, and I mean he's he's all over her. Um, so, you know, it's interesting to see that now God's beginning to, uh, work with Leah and, and allowing Leah to have some children, uh, for, for Jacob. Now, you know, all of a sudden things are not going Rachel's way. And now she is, uh, she's beginning to, uh, foster this jealousy. But, you know, I found it interesting that she, she demands from Jacob, you know, give me children or else I die. Why? You know, why would she demand that? You know, what power would he have over such a thing? Um, you could look at it in one way as it's just kind of this cry for desperation or cry of desperation, I should say. Or maybe she knows that Jacob's father, Isaac, uh, you know, if you remember back in those chapters, how God opened Rebecca's womb, uh, basically because Isaac was, was praying and he requested that, uh, that that happen. And she thinks that maybe Jacob has the same ability to do such a thing. And it is key to remember that in this time, he would have been seen as the spiritual leader of the family. So, you know, who knows? Maybe that's what she was expecting from him and, and maybe he just wasn't doing it. Um, the other is, you know, it's interesting to how it's interesting to see how Rachel's desperation here mimics what we're going to read in uh, Genesis 32 of Jacob's desperation when he will wrestle with an angel. Uh, here, Rachel's very adamant about having children. And in Genesis 32, we'll read Jacob is very adamant that the angel give him a blessing before he'll let him go. And this is another showcase here of how Jacob and Rachel are very like-minded thinkers as far as the way they think, the way they go after things, the way they bargain and negotiate. They are very similar in that way. Um, so it's very interesting to see that. We see Jacob's response in the next verse. It, it's very, it's very brass. It's, it's not comforting. It's not consoling to his wife whatsoever. When he says, you know, am I God? He's the only one, or he's the one who's kept you from having children. Um, and again, I think this, you pointed this out, it showcases what we've discussed in the past that at this point in Jacob's life, he still has really not taken on God to be his God in his life. Um, he, he does not really have that relationship that, that God had with Abraham and Isaac. 
you know, at the later points in their life. Um, he doesn't lean on God for anything. He doesn't really truly serve God much at this point. Yet God is still merciful on him and honors the promises that uh, God made to his fathers. So um, that's and I'll bring that up a little bit later in the episode. But verses 3 through 13, so that whole section there, um, the, you know, when you kind of have this battle, I don't know what you want, I don't know what to call it other than the battle of children, um, it just shows what a mess Jacob has managed to get himself into. He started life literally by seeking after something that ultimately wasn't technically supposed to be his and then once he gets it, you know, it causes him to have to flee from his only home. Now that he's worked 14 years he's gotten two wives one which he never really desired in the first place um and now where is he at now the two wives he does have are using everything at their disposal including their handmaidens and their children to war against each other and essentially in the hopes of being uh the true matriarch and winning over jacob's full affection and to your point it's really more of rachel warring against um warring against leah leah not so much warring back against Rachel, uh, more so just trying to kind of be an equal, more on an equal playing field, because as you have said, you know, Rachel has had her way with Jacob pretty much all this, all this time. Uh, you pointed it out very well, and I'll, I'll kind of add to it about the naming of the children, you know, at, that they're war, as they're warring against each other. Uh, and it reminded me, especially uh, when we're talking about Dan and Naphtali, um, and again, as you said, Dan and Naphtali, when you translate their names, you know, Dan meaning uh, vindicated and Naphtali meaning, you know, my struggle. They were named during these basically these war times uh, when Rachel was essentially at war with Leah. And it reminded me of a story. Uh, it's, it's the story of the death of Eli and the birth of Ichabod in First Samuel chapter four. And I, I want to give credit here to my pastor. Uh, he recently taught on this. So this is why it was pretty fresh in my memory. Um, but if you're not familiar with the story, I'll give you kind of the 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 spark notes version i guess um so eli's uh daughter-in-law the wife of phineas uh was pregnant and then she finds out that her husband and her father-in-law eli are both dead and that the ark of god has been captured so a very 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 bad day um and she was in such turmoil at birth that she names her son ichabod which means where is the glory or basically the glory is gone you know it's this ter- essentially this terrible name that you that you could ever ch- choose to name a child um, and he received, Ichabod received a name that he, he really didn't ever deserve because he had no effect on that. I mean, he couldn't help it that all these bad things happened right about the time of his birth. Um, but it's possible, uh, that he did go on and, and he became a great man in those days, despite his label. Um, first off his brother, I know I'm kind of going off on a tangent, but I'm getting somewhere. First off his brother, Ahitub, uh, which is mentioned in first Samuel chapter 14, his name, Ahitub is translated to mean my brother is good. So depending on who was the older brother, I couldn't really figure that part out. Um, it wasn't, didn't seem to be very clear. Um, Ichabod, you could interpret, interpret that to mean that Ichabod was either never meant to bear such a depressing name. <clears throat> that's assuming Ahitub was the firstborn or later his mother recognized what she had done by naming him this. And she realized how good he was. And she did some, she was trying to do some type of rectification, uh, by naming the second son, uh, this thing that says my brother is good. But what I really loved, so Turns out Wikipedia can have some pretty good stuff nowadays. <laughs> so I, I looked at the Wikipedia page for Ahita. Believe it or not, he has one. It's not very long, but he's got one. Um, and the very last line uh, said this, and I thought it was so good. It says, while Ichabod is barely mentioned in the Hebrew Bible, the fact that Ahitub is elsewhere referred to as the brother of Ichabod rather than the son of Phineas or of anyone else has led textual scholars to suspect that Ichabod was considered a significant individual in the days of Samuel. So how powerful is that? Somebody that was literally born with this terrible label of a name 
could have, could have quite possibly went on and became a significant figure um, in these days. He overcame essentially his label. He overcame what he was born into. And a lot of these children <clears throat> born during Leah and Rachel's quarrel, you know, again, mainly on Rachel's side, um, they received names they didn't really deserve, just like Ichabod, you know, names that were given more in a time of anger and hate. Um, but it really didn't have anything to do with them as children. And it got me to thinking, you know, you, you yourself uh, may be labeled as something uh, by those around you, even if you had nothing to do with it. Um, maybe you came from a, a family with some problems, um, but maybe you yourself, you're, you've been trying to live right. You've been trying to follow God, but because of the circumstances outside of your control, the world has either shunned you or turned you away and only saw you by the label that was given to you. So I wanted to kind of encourage somebody that, you know, your label, your name, it, it doesn't define you. You choose who you are. You know, if you decide to follow after God, it's not going to matter where you came from or the labels that the world tries to apply to you. God sees you for who you are, and he can change others' perception of you and help you to be seen uh, for the child of God that you are. And just because you may have been born into a mess or into a feud, it doesn't mean that that's what you'll be forever. God gave us free will to love and to serve him. So if we choose to do that in spite of the labels that we've been given, not only will he love you and and he will embrace you and he'll carry you into new places in him, but the Holy Ghost that he will give you, excuse me, will create in you a new man, a younger man that God will help others to see within you. And, you know, take hope in God that no matter your label, no matter of your label, names like Dan and Naphtali, they may have been names of strife and argument, but see, God turned them around and made them into the names of tribes of God. You know, these names will be forever remembered as, you know, part of the 12 tribes of Israel, you know, that great foundation. So God turned it all the way around. So I I just wanted to give that little bit of encouragement there because, you know, it really got me thinking about the people that, you know, maybe like like I said, maybe you're a, a part of a family that might be a little bit broken, may have some issues, uh, things like that, things that are outside of your control. But, you know, don't let that hinder you. Don't let that, that be a, a weight on you. Um, step out in God, step into him, love him with everything that you have, and he will help you to overcome those things. And he will help people to see, you know, your spirit uh, more than anything else. So, uh, moving on from that, <clears throat> I wanted to go down to verse 14. And for verse 14, we, we begin to see a little bit of, of uh, poetic justice, in my opinion, uh, for Leah. And you kind of hit on this uh, when, uh, when Rachel begins to beg for Leah's son's mandrakes. You know, like you said, up to this point, Rachel's gotten everything. Now Leah's son's got something that Rachel really wants. Um so the the bartering that you see in verses 14 through 15, it's very reminiscent of the bartering that Jacob and Esau did back several chapters ago. And again, this shows us how much Jacob and Rachel fought alike. Rachel knew that if she wanted the mandrakes, she'd have to bargain for them to get her way. But why would she want the mandrakes? And you did a good job of, of explaining that as far as, you know, the, the effects and everything that were that were on them. You know, in my research, it, it seemed like they may have served as maybe an aphrodisiac. And to your point, it was very it's very unclear if it was more of a, um, you know, maybe a chemical or a, a hormonal thing or if it maybe was just a symbol, maybe some kind of almost superstitial hope that it would uh, increase fertility uh, for, for her. So um, she was she was kind of betting her odds, so to speak, on that. But notice, again, you pointed this out. There's no mention of Rachel really praying to God, asking for his help in this matter. She instead decides to put her faith in these mandrakes. But, you know, it made me ask the question when we, you know, we need to ask ourselves, when will we shift our faith from the mandrakes to the master, so to speak? Um, You know, and check out check out verse 17 where it says, you know, and God answered Leah's prayers. You hit the nail on the head. You know, Leah prayed to God and guess what? He answered her. Why is it, you know, that we so often have hopes and expectations of things, yet we fail to ask God for them? We get too busy bartering for mandrakes that we never even offer to ask the master. We get too caught up in trying to fix the problem ourselves. We neglect to go to the one that holds the whole world in his hands, you know. And, but that's who we are as humans. We, we have this I must fix it mentality when God's standing there saying, if you'll just ask, if you'll just come to me humbly and just ask me, 
I would love to do it for you, but you've just got to ask. So we have to be able to swallow our pride and be able to come before him humbly and say, God, I need your help. And that's what he wants us to do. It isn't until verse 22, as you pointed out, that God remembered Rachel's plight and opened her womb. You know, and and to your point, it's amazing how his love and kindness took over and, and that he had mercy on Rachel by giving her Joseph. And we'll come to, we'll see in the coming chapters, Joseph was not a consolation prize. It's not like God just was like, okay, I'll give you a child, but this child's going to be like the run of the litter and he's not going to have anything, you know, he's not going to serve any purpose. Um, Joseph is a big deal. We're, we're going to read about that. You know, he, he takes up a good portion of the latter part of Genesis. Um, you know, his story and his climb in Egypt and all that stuff. Um, we, we will, we will read a lot about that. Um, so he has a great destiny, but isn't it amazing? Like you said, how God has mercy on us and, and still gives us our desire sometimes, even when we're not earnestly seeking him as we should. That's how deep his love is for us and how mysterious that it is. Now, that's no excuse for us to be, quote, lukewarm with him. Um, he deserves our best and he deserves our all. But isn't it always comforting to know that he that he loves us, he sees us, and he has mercy on us even when we are not at his best within him. And lastly, I wanted to bring up, uh, and you kind of touched on it, the subtle change of, of mind and heart of Rachel here in verse 24 when she uh, says, when she names him Joseph, she says, Another, you know, adding another son to our family. I, I found the word our very interesting there. So the fact that she mentions another to me was kind of powerful. That's what stuck out to me. This is her first son biologically by her. Now, her handmaiden has had some, which, you know, I guess by the rules of the day would mean she had them. But the way I took it, kind of the, the, the change in her, I guess, attitude and her terminology there. You know, all this time she's been warring with Leah, but this is really the first time that she's beginning to speak inclusively, this inclusive our vocabulary when talking about the children. And again, open for interpretation here. This could have been a sign of Rachel beginning to bury the hatchet a little bit with her sister and coming to realize that they are and they should be one big family, not two sisters warring over children and their husband. And, you know, the last thing I wanted to say was it's amazing that God's mercy, his mercy on Rachel began to birth the beginnings of peace, what looks to be peace between the sisters and within the immediate family. So that's, you know, God's mercy. Not only is it a direct benefit to Rachel, but it also has that a little bit of healing power there after that strife we read about in the earlier part of the chapter. So that being said, that's all I have on this first set of scriptures. So I will turn it back over to you. All right. Excellent job, AJ. Great insights there. Um, Love that point of, all right, are you trusting in the mandrakes or are you trusting in the master? Loved it. All right. Well, we will continue on with the chapter, uh, picking back up in verse 25, and we're going to read through the end of the chapter. All right, here we go. Verse 25. Soon after Rachel had given birth to Joseph, Jacob said to Laban, Please release me so I can go home to my own country. Let me take my wives and children, for I have earned them by serving you, and let me be on my way. You certainly know how hard I have worked for you. Please listen to me, Laban replied. I have become wealthy, for the Lord has blessed me because of you. Tell me how much I owe you. Whatever it is, I'll pay it. Jacob replied, You know how hard I've worked for you, and how your flocks and and herds have grown under my care. You had little indeed before I came, but your wealth has increased enormously. The Lord has blessed you through everything I've done. But now, what about me? When can I start providing for my own family? What wages do you want? Laban asked again. Jacob replied, don't give me anything. Just do this one thing and I'll continue to tend and watch over your flocks. Let me inspect your flocks today and remove all the sheep and goats that are speckled or spotted, along with all the black sheep. Give these to me as my wages. In the future, when you check on the animals you have given me as my wages, you'll see that I have been honest. If you find in my flock any goats without speckles or spots or any sheep that are not black, you will know that I have stolen them from you. All right, Laban replied, it will be as you say. 
But that very day, Laban went out and removed the male goats that were streaked and spotted, and all the female female goats that were speckled and spotted, or had white patches, and all the black sheep. He placed them in the care of his own sons, who took them a three days' journey from where Jacob was. Meanwhile, Jacob stayed and cared for the rest of Laban's flock. Then Jacob took some fresh branches from poplar, almond, and plane trees, and peeled off strips of bark, making white streaks on them. Then he placed these peeled branches in the watering troughs where the flocks came to drink, for that was where they made it. And when they made it in front of the white streaked branches, they gave birth to young that were streaked, speckled, and spotted. Jacob separated those lambs from Laban's flock, and at mating time he turned the flock to face Laban's animals that were streaked or black. This is how he built his own flock instead of increasing Laban's. Whenever the strong females were ready to mate, Jacob would place the peeled branches in the watering troughs in front of them. Then they would mate in front of the branches. But he didn't do this with the weaker ones. So the weaker lambs belonged to Laban, and the stronger ones were Jacob's. As a result, Jacob became very wealthy, with large flocks of sheep and goats, female and male servants, and many camels and donkeys. All right, AJ, take it away. All right. Well, thanks for the reading. So I'll go ahead and jump in and get through this as quickly as I can. The opening of this set of reading, we see that Jacob's now ready to kind of break away from the house of Laban. He's got his wives, his children. He's ready to return home. There's a lot of scholars that have pointed out here the significance of Jacob stating that he wants to go back to, quote, my home or my own country. Even though that he was essentially driven out by the fear of his brother, he never really took root uh, with Laban. And his heart was always wanted to return to the land of his father, the land that his father had held. We see in the exchange in verse 27 uh, through 31, kind of this uh, agreement or bartering for the wages of Jacob, that Laban's not too keen on letting Jacob go. Um, There's a few reasons for this, um, probably because Jacob uh, this whole time has probably been working for almost either free or very, very cheap labor. And as Jacob points out in verse 30, Laban's wealth has increased dramatically since he arrived. You know, it's quite possible that Laban had taken notice of the vast amount of children Jacob was having, and he might have been thinking that, hey, if I can get him to stick around long enough for these kids to grow up, then I've got even more, quote, workers um, that I can employ. And uh, then Laban's like, hey, my wealth can kind of just keep on skyrocketing. You know, I got I got one guy today. I might have, you know, 8, 10, 12 on down the road. Um And then the other thing was Laban also likely knew that God was blessing Jacob because of the promise uh, that God made to his fathers. And and Laban was essentially kind of feeding off Jacob's blessing, essentially. You know, he knew that Jacob was going to be blessed by God. So he's like, as long as I keep him in my house, then I'm going to get some residuals off this. So um, he definitely knew he had a good thing going there and he did not want to let go of that by any means. Um now, in verse 31 through 33, we see that Jacob, he makes a very interesting proposal here to Laban regarding his wages. Um, he doesn't ask for any money or anything like that, but he, he wants to barter and bargain with sheep. Um, he bargains with Laban to continue to, to shepherd or, or I, don't, I don't think it's shepherd's the right word. I think it's like husbandry. I don't know. Anyway, I, I'm not an agriculturalist. Um, but anyway, he wants to keep watching the flocks. Put it that way. And... If any war, any more were to be born with blemish, then he would keep them and they would be his. They would be Jacob's. Now, note in verse 35, after Laban agrees to this, that he and his sons, or he has his sons, excuse me, to take all the blemished sheep and goats that are already in Laban's flock at the time of the agreement. He basically, they segregate them out and they move them three days journey away to ensure that Jacob uh, would only be in possession of the unblemished or those of Laban's. You know, they wanted to bring them way far away so that there wouldn't be one that would kind of meander off, find their way into the herd and then, you know, start procreating. And now you have this vast amount of, of speckled or spotted uh, flocks. So Laban was trying to basically uh, really increase his odds of essentially making sure that Jacob was not going to have anything. And Jacob would essentially just be free labored still um, because as we, some of us may remember from, uh, genetics you know your basic genetics i'll put it that way you know uh uh, non-speckled with non-speckled means you're probably going to get non-speckled um so now we're going to kind of get into a little bit of the confusing uh confusing bits that 
doesn't seem to make a lot of sense at face value when you begin to read into this uh, thing with after he begins to watch these flock with the tree branches. But I think there's a lot of good symbolism here to note. So um, for, uh, first off, a little PSA here before I get into this uh, much deeper. Um, uh, th- th- this is all really my interpretation. So if you don't agree with it 100%, uh, I respect that. Um, I did a lot of research trying to come up with like a, a any kind of consensus among some scholars or some notes out there as far as what everything meant and there wasn't really a lot of consensus so i'm just kind of i'm winging it here um, but i think there are some good connections and good symbolism here so um first off note that jacob he he he's uh the one that's tending over the flock and he chooses not the unblemished but he chooses the blemished he chooses the ones that are spotted that are speckled that are not considered to be perfect why uh well one reason is because he knew they were the ones that laban didn't really want um and jacob took the rejects essentially so have you caught any connections here yet you know there was a man that will come from the house of israel one day uh, jesus christ and he was very well known for going to associating with and helping the rejects, the blemished, and the undesired, you know, so you have that connection there. Um, the other one, so note the three-day journey that the sons took the blemished flock on from Jacob. Uh, do you know any other major Bible events that maybe took place in three days? Uh, there's a very important one that you can read about in the Gospels that I, I think we all know about, you know. Um, so, in, in case you're not catching the reference, you know, Jesus died, um, and then three days later, he was resurrected resurrected excuse me uh, now the brand the really unusual thing that is still hard to kind of grasp the tree branches and the watering troughs these branches were made of poplar almond and plane tree um, and again PSA kind of in uncharted waters here so bear with me so the poplar and the plane trees are both trees that are known to grow close to sources of water. The plane tree tends to grow near some rocky stream beds, while the poplar tree tends to grow near uh, water, just general water. Um, but in this area, it was a little bit more plentiful, plentifully found near the Euphrates and the Jordan River. So it was kind of a river tree. Uh, now, the almond is a little bit different, and, and we'll see the almond referenced in other places in the Bible. Not a whole lot of places, but um, you'll see it later in Genesis um, when Jacob's family begins to make their way to, to uh, Egypt. And we'll also see it in Exodus uh, with the, some of the details for the tabernacle. Uh, but what I wanted to focus on here is how the almond can be interpreted as a symbol of watchfulness. So if you're not picking up the connection in Jeremiah 1, God uses the almond tree as a symbol of watchfulness. He basically God asked Jeremiah, hey, Jeremiah, what do you see? And Jeremiah responds, I see an almond tree or something like that. And God answers, you have seen correctly because I am watching to see that my word is fulfilled. So a lot of scholars believe that the almond is or the almond or the almond tree in the Bible is kind of the symbolism of watchfulness. So all that being said that I just kind of went into, if we pull all that together, what do you get? And this is where you got to bear with me. This is what I got out of it. You don't have to agree with me, but I got out of it the source of life. So I'm, when I'm saying the source of life, I'm talking about, you know, we, we just said the poplar and the plane tree that grew up near water and river. We know water is a source of life. So the source of life is watching over you. So watching, watchfulness, almond, almond tree. So Hopefully, maybe you can get the connection. So if you put it all together, the source of life, God is watching over it. So essentially, God, this is kind of, you could interpret it to say God was watching over Jacob during this time. And we know that to be true because God blesses Jacob and this trick, this whatever this is, it works. You know, it it allows for um, there to be some spotted and speckled uh, births happening uh, in in this flock of if you want to use the term pure uh, sheep and goat and then once they are born uh, then you begin to he begins to mix these and his his flock begins to grow 
The last little symbol uh, that I thought was in there that I picked up on was the color of the streaks of the branch, which the Bible says is white. And again, white is the color of purity. And we see that so many times. Uh, this is referenced in spiritual purity. And we all know that there was only one uh, that has ever walked the face of this earth that was known to be truly pure and without blemish. And again, his name was Jesus Christ. Um, now, after doing this, uh, we see that, like I said, uh, he begins to, uh, the, these sheep and goat begin to give birth to some speckled uh, sheep and goat. So he uses those to mate with the other pure colored ones to increase his flock. And again, note he uses this selective breeding to make sure that his speckled flock or his blemished flock was also the strongest. So not only are they on the outside, maybe they're not what everybody would want, but they're also a lot stronger than what the other ones would prefer and remember how we said that jacob took the less desire just like jesus did and just like we see here when we are born again into god's kingdom he will increase our strength he will make us stronger than those that the world desires he will give us the strength that we need he will make us what we need to be so there's another good connection there and the last thing as i'm kind of wrapping up my portion here it's important to remember that all of this happened to and for Jacob in these last few scriptures. It's not really because Jacob was deserving of them, but it was again because God was honoring the promises made to his father and to the father before him. Now, I'm a firm believer in generational blessings. I 100% believe that those are real. Uh, now, we cannot rely on them to make it uh, to heaven. We can't use it to substitute a personal relationship with God. But at the same time, I know I can testify that I wouldn't be where I am today uh, without some honored prayers of, of the ones that came before me. Um, so I know I have been blessed and God has blessed me, not because of anything I have done, but because of the ones that have come before me, the family and the church members and the elders that have called my name in prayer and, and you know, taken the time to remember me and ask God's blessing over my life. And like I said, you know, there's been so many doors open in my life. There's been so many blessings that I know for a fact I wasn't worthy or deserving of. So I thank God for his mercy and his goodness and for honoring the prayers and the cries of the ones that came before me so that being said that's all i have uh, for the remainder of this chapter so i'll go ahead and turn it back over to you all right great job aj um i really liked your breakdown of what jacob was doing with these sheep and goats i tell you you know i've read this chapter uh many times before uh i've been in even in sunday school when they've talked about the story and Never really fully understood it, um, what was going on here. So I had to really slow down and pick apart what was going on uh, here with Jacob and how he was uh, ensuring that he got this flock that was, although they were blemished on the outside, they were stronger. I love that connection too that you uh, you put there spiritually. So great, great job. Um, actually, that whole thing of, you know, while they're mating, <laughs> looking at these striped uh uh, branches. Uh, apparently I, I was looking, doing some research and apparently they've seen this phenomenon happen with, um, with horses as well. So, uh, apparently it's a legit thing that happens. So, you know, Jacob had this, this ace in the hole that he could use on Laban, right. To, to get his, uh, get the, get the flock that he wanted. So, um, just a few things, uh, because you really did a good job covering this, this last passage, but, um, so Jacob, um, he's encountering Laban and Laban says something really interesting in verse 27. And now the NLT, uh, does obscure it, but Laban says, and if you read another translation, most translations say this, but Laban says he learned that he becomes wealthy uh, by Jacob, but he learns this through divination. <laughs> and so, yeah, Laban was dabbling in some sorcery. And so, no doubt, as well, Laban was serving other gods. And we'll see, actually, in a few chapters that this... this practice of worshiping multiple gods, idols, 
definitely passed down to um, at least one of his daughters. So um, definitely Laban isn't the um, the role model guy. Uh, if you want to find somebody in the Bible, um, definitely practicing some sorcery, some idolatry. Um, and so um, maybe this was a factor in uh, Jacob wanting to get out of uh, Haran and come back to Canaan. So find it interesting how the man who is being influenced by spiritual darkness, namely Laban, was trying his best to keep the man called by God at work and away from his promised land. And I sure think like that's a foreshadowing of the greater Exodus story when uh, Israel leaves Egypt behind to go to the promised land. And, and even in that passage there, in, in that story, in the Exodus story, sure enough, Pharaoh is being influenced by spiritual darkness. He's got sorcerers uh, in his court. Uh, definitely some spiritual uh, battles going on during the Exodus story. So, um, one last thing, uh, that I will mention and we will be done for tonight. Um, but, uh, so going off of this foreshadowing of, of Israel's Exodus from Egypt, you know, uh, Jacob is cheated by Laban in his wages. And like that happens in this story, Pharaoh changes his mind about letting the people of Israel go several times in the Exodus story. It's like Pharaoh is shortchanging Israel, just like Laban has been shortchanging Jacob here. And so in this story, Jacob is able to get a better flock for himself, and he's justified in doing so. And indeed, in the Exodus story, Israel is also justified when they plunder, as what the uh, King James uses, plunder the Egyptians and, and take their gold and their jewels away from Egypt on their way to the promised land. And so definitely the story has those overtones, and I think it's setting us up for the bigger Exodus story coming up um, in in the book of Exodus. So. That's all I've got. All right. Well, great job bringing it there to an end. And, uh, yeah, I think this has been a really great chapter. I've really enjoyed it. I think we both brought out some some really good points. So, um, well, I want to go ahead and we'll bring this episode to a close. So thanks, everyone, for listening and joining us again on another episode of The Everywhere Podcast. So, um, again, thanks, everyone, for listening. Thank you for tuning in. We appreciate all those that come back week after week. And if this is the first one that you've ever heard, if you're a new listener, um, thanks for finding us. Thanks for giving us uh, part of your time. And we hope that you were blessed. We hope that you received something out of it. And uh, if you haven't already, if there's some older episodes that you haven't checked out, uh, please go back and listen. We got uh, episodes on every chapter Genesis from the beginning up to this episode, so up to chapter 30. So um, go back, give them a listen, and um, and see what God has in store for you. So with that being said, we'll go ahead and uh, bring this one to an end. So thanks, everyone, again, and we will see you again next week. All right. You guys have a good one.